back to Insemination. I am, as always, so excited for my next episode because it is with two of my absolute favorite people and allies to the Donor Conceived community. We've got DNA Angels on deck ready to talk to you. DNA Angels is a nonprofit organization that has been helping NPEs, adoptees, and donor conceived people find their families. So they're going to be coming on to talk about how they do the absolute miraculous stuff that they do. If you need their services, how to contact them and share some absolutely incredible stories about reuniting all of these families. And as always, please like and subscribe, leave a review for the podcast. And remember, we don't just record it. We also film it as well. So if you would rather watch this, it's all on YouTube under my name, Laura High. That is H-I-G-H. Also, if you are ever interested in seeing me do live stand-up comedy, please check out my website, www.laurahigh5five.com. Press the show button and it'll bring up some awesome shows that I have coming up. Soon, I'm going to be in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and New Orleans. But I'm extremely excited for my next show coming up July 23rd, Stand Up for Drag, which I will be co-producing with the amazing drag queen Gina Tonic. We have an all-queer lineup and all proceeds from the show will be going to two incredible organizations, Drag Story Hour and The Transformation Project. We cannot wait to see you there. Please buy your tickets ahead of time as seating is limited. And now, let's get to the show. So everybody, give a big insemination welcome to Laura Olmsted, the executive director and founder of DNA Angels and a genetic genealogist, and Kelly Grace, the associate director of DNA Angels and who is also a genetic genealogist. Welcome, ladies. I am so excited to have you all on. We are excited to be here. Honestly, it's a pleasure to be here. And we just love following your stories, following your TikTok, following your social media. You really keep us going. Well, I thank you so much, Laura. Oh, thank, thank you. That means a lot. And yo, as soon as the first time I talked to y'all on the phone, which was, I, we're coming up on a year now, I was like, I like these, 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 these two ladies, these, I like them. They got, they, they, they got the right sauce and I'm excited to continue to work with y'all. Excellent. We're excited to work with you too. Uh, not, not to give any, uh, confidentiality away, but we, we all, we have worked together. There have been some, uh, some cases where I've called you guys up going like, okay, there's a, there's a case about to go on your desk. I need, I need you to make this first priority, please. I can't give you any more information. Just please make this first priority. And I y'all hate that tease that you give us too. I'm like, oh my God, I want details. And you guys have been absolutely amazing. And the work that you do is so incredible. And I'd love to start there is talk about what is DNA Angels? What do you guys do? So really, we're, we're a nonprofit organization. We started in 2019. Um, we find birth families. So it does not matter if you are adopted, donor, uh, a donor conceived person, um, an NPE, or you simply never knew your father. We feel like it is a basic human right to know who your biological parent is and that you shouldn't have to be uh, financially secure to hire a genetic genealogist to identify that parent. So you can come to us after you've taken an ancestry DNA test, and we are more than happy to identify your birth parent at no cost. Oh, I love it. Okay, we're going to get to the ancestry point a little bit later because I want to make sure that we underline that because I'm sure everyone heard that and was like, what does that mean? Um, and then Kelly, can you sort of describe what you do for in, in your section of DNA angels? 
Uh, a little bit of everything. So as a genetic genealogist, I work cases. Um, I do special projects. I do a lot of the TikToks that go out, um, interviews with authors or other persons in the industry um, or in the community, I should say. Um, I do interviews with podcasts for people like Laura High and um, just basically any special projects that Laura has that she pushes onto my desk, they come to me. Um, so, and if you've ever donated to DNA Angels and you've gotten a thank you note, that's written by me generally. So that serial killer handwriting you see, that's all mine. Yes. Um, um, so I, I, so I, I know your, your reasoning for why you believe DNA angels is important, but what founded this? What, what was this kickoff? What was the catalyst that started this? Kelly, tell the story. You're so good at it. She's got this down. So it starts kind of separately. Both Laura and I took ancestry DNA tests and both had a surprise in our DNA being that our biological father was not the man that raised us. Mm. Laura figured it out in about two weeks after she got her results in the summer of I believe 2017 and it took me a while longer i tested in 2016 didn't realize till 2018 but once i once i did i i got it within 24 hours that there was something afoot so i this was memorial day 2018 i is when i made my discovery and about two weeks later my phone um pops up an article from the atlantic about a support group so i joined the support group and i got really involved in helping people i was like a greeter for them and they put out a call for search angels and i said well i'm not a search angel my case was pretty easy i had a half sibling and but i'm really good at finding people so they put me in a group with Laura and another angel who did all the heavy lifting. And I just basically came in and tied a bow on it and said, okay, we found your biological father. Here's his contact information. Here are your siblings. Here's pictures of them. I did all of that work because I could track down people. Um, my grandmother used to call me a fetch. So about between November of 2018 and February of 2019, we solved about a hundred cases and not just NPEs, we were starting to break away and do other kinds of cases because we wanted to help anyone that needed to find a parent, not just within the confines of this special support group. So we broke away, formed DNA Angels. Um, it was actually, we had a contest with our current clients and they suggested the name and the spelling. And um, we've been rolling since there and we're at 4,000, almost 4,500 cases to date since that time. Wow. Oh my God, that is, that is just incredible to me. That yeah. it, it is, <laughs> oh God, that is impressive. Um, So then let's talk about how you guys do your work. So I guess that kind of goes back to why you suggest to any of your, cl would clients be the right word? Yeah. Clients, word we use, yeah. Um. Why do you, why do you need your clients to use Ancestry over to like 23andMe? So the difference is night and day. There are a couple things. Um, there are a couple things. So first, Ancestry is the largest database in the world. So they have over 24 million users at this time that have taken a DNA test. And in addition to that, when you take a DNA test with Ancestry, there is a family tree 
attached to the DNA match for the most part. They have a choice whether they can attach it or not. Most of them do attach a tree or they've built a tree on ancestry. So I can see your match and I can see who's in your tree. Whereas over at 23andMe, which we also recommend, but only as a secondary resource, mm. 23andMe has over 14 million subscribers. So there's about a 10 million, 10 million people difference, which is a big difference. Um, but there's no tree. So you literally have to physically interview each DNA match to see who mm. their what their family history is. And let's face it, only 10% of your DNA matches will even reply to a email inquiring about their family tree, their family history, or just to say hi, cousins. They they just don't reply. So we use the resource that is available at Ancestry to find genetically what we call the common ancestors and we can get into that more later um but that is why we recommend ancestry over 23 and me it is night and day and you will find your answers with ancestry faster than you will find it with 23 and me barring you know a, an ant match or a father match or something like that I, and I just want to give because you said only 10% of relatives that you connect with on these DNA sites, only 10% reply back. Correct. That's correct. Whoa, um, we have you. found, not we, Ancestry, I follow, I follow uh, the Ancestry site and they have noticed that if you put a photo of yourself as your pro, as a profile picture, your increase, your, your percentage of responses does increase, but it's still pretty low. Okay. So, well, put, I can understand that. Okay. That makes sense. Good, good little hot tip for all of our donor conceived MPE adoptees who are all listening, who are actively looking for family. That's a good, good tip to learn. Um, how do you, are you, so are you the ones who, who would be reaching out to relatives saying like, Hey, we have a client, uh, who's trying to track down biological family are you the ones who are reaching out or are you suggesting to your client, this is who I would reach out to? We do both. Okay. So um, we will coach the client to reach out through Ancestry to get some family information. If the client um, is not too responsive or articulate mm-hmm. or there are issues there, then we're going to offer to go ahead and reach out because a lot of times we do get a response where the client doesn't because we're coming from DNA angels mm. and just asking about a family history. Not necessarily do we say we have a client that's donor conceived. We keep it to family history questions. So, you know, I'm working with a client to build their biological family tree. They don't need to know the circumstances of the birth for that client. Um, and then we just talk about family history. Okay. That's all I want to know anyway. I don't want to know about your immediate family. I'm looking at family history patterns. Um, and what okay. is in common with the other DNA matches that you share with that person. Okay. Well, so then l- l- let's sort of piggyback off of that one. So I, you know, everyone knows I'm, I'm donor conceived, actively looking for my siblings. And so far I am only in contact with one of my siblings. I have found, let me see, her, I, I have actively found four siblings. Only one of them is we're in contact. The others have like, have said like, have basically no reply, nothing, not no contact. Okay. I know more siblings are going to come down the pipeline because my donor donated for six years and he was a med student in OBGYN. Like there, there's no way there's just five of us. There's no way. Right. So as I am prepping to contact my next sibling that I find, 
how would you suggest I message them that you have found to be the most successful message to get a reply back? Okay, so when that match does pop up, mm-hmm. um, I do suggest you give them a, a moment to just digest who their matches, matches are because they may not know that they're donor conceived, Laura, and I know that you know that. Mm-hmm. So give them a moment for that. And then have something, have a bio ready for the for the matches that you do know, the half siblings. Hi, my name is Laura, and this is our sister. We were donor conceived. Give them a little bit of a background about you and how you were your conception story and a little bit of background about your sibling and their background, their conception story. Um, and just lean into, lean into it gently. Okay. Um, and then say, are you, uh, you know, give it a close, but make that close a open-ended question. Would you like to, Mm. um, connect, you know, how can I help you with your journey? Okay. So I don't go like, Hey, do you want to spend Thanksgiving together? And get matching right. sweaters. And, and don't blurt out who your donor is either, because you don't know uh, if they know that mm-hmm. or if their mother used him as a, a mm-hmm. physician. So we just have to be very careful about how we approach things. So I always say be specifically and get pause this, please, because I got to get my word right. You take your words, take, take your moment. There we go. Be specifically vague. Okay. So you're giving them something and you want something in return. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's a good thing. And then, so, and then sort of on the flip side of that, I get a lot of, I've had donors ask me, Hey, I've matched with my donor conceived children on ancestry 23 and me. Should I reach out or should I wait for them to reach out to me? Now, typically with the donor conceived community, we suggest you let the child, you let the kid reach out to you. Is that also something that you would recommend? Okay, so here's the thing: the donor does have a choice because you, I see this so frequently in our in our clients. They're so nervous to reach out. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're nervous. They really he's he's nervous. Do yourself a favor, Mister Donor. In your bio for your profile at Ancestry or 23andMe, please put, I am a known donor in the DCP community. Brilliant. If you are a match to me as a child, please know that I am open to communication. Brilliant. Oh, that is such an, of course, that's what you do. Oh, that's so easy. I love that. Oh, and maybe put something in the, the bio experts. that not is only open to communication, but open to sharing his health history and family history with them. Because of course, that's a big concern for, for donor conceived persons. Yes. I, yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly one donor who I've been in contact with who specifically has a very serious medical history. And that's like the main reason why she absolutely wants to reach out to donor con- her donor conceived children. And that was a big question of like, should I reach out to them? And it was, her and I kind of talked about it a little bit and I was like, your medical history is kind of big enough where I think you should because it is literally life threatening. Um, and that was, I would agree. that then that was what I, I, I advised her to do was in, in a normal circumstance, I would always tell a donor like, no, don't, if, if you don't have anything life threatening, don't. But because with her, I was like, I, I think you got to take the plunge because it's, they got to know what's up. Um, 
Oh my God. Okay. So then now I'm going to, again, I'm just going to sort of use, I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, I'm going to pull up my, because of course, you know, I've got like my 23andMe and Ancestry all like right here because, you know, I don't check it on a daily basis whatsoever. That's not what happens with me. What are you talking about? Not even three or four times a day, right? Not even three or four (laughs) times. What are you talking about? That's fine. Okay. So then let's talk about when like you have your, your relatives pop up. Okay. So right now I'm, I have, I'm right now staring at one of my, my half brothers. And so, um, and it's saying I share with my half brother. 29.1% of DNA shared when we are, and then with my half and then one of my half sisters, um, we share 22.6% of my DNA shared. So when you see, so like for donor conceived people and they're trying to figure out like, oh my God, is this an uncle? Is this a cousin? Is this a brother? Because sometimes the, the relationships don't always come in clearly. Typically, what have you, is there like a gauge that you guys have of like, well, if you share this much DNA, I think it's probably this. If you share this much DNA, it's probably that. I'll answer it. Love it. Okay. Uh, sorry, Kelly. I swear I'm going to let you talk because I really don't talk on these things a lot. I have a question for you next, my, Kelly, that you're going to answer, okay? Specifically, <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay. Please no, look. I let Laura do the scientific thing. I can answer them, but she does it so much better. I don't mind her answering. So go ahead, Laura. <clears throat> well, sometimes I get tongue tied. However, when it comes to um, determining the relationship with someone um, that you share DNA with, there is going to be a spectrum. So um, your grandfather, your uncle, your half-sibling can all fall into those same categories that you just mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. And we're assuming male here, right? I'm just going to put it out I, there. I have a both a, a half-brother and a half-sister up right now. Okay, so it can be, you know, grandpa, grandma, uncle, aunt. Uh, half sibling, boy or girl, right? Um, What you have to do in order to make that determination is look at the generational age. How old old are they? Okay, so if they're the same generation as you, Mm -hmm. typically that's your half sibling. If they're one generation above you, typically that is your aunt or uncle. Two generations above you in the same category is your grandma or grandpa. Um, That makes sense. There are specifics that you need to do to eliminate each one of those because you know let's face it your your donor could be two generations above you depending on when he donated yeah. uh, so we have to be really careful about that so there are many factors which is why you need a genetic genealogist to look at that or you need to learn and understand um, how to put a family tree together based on genetics but as a basic rule of thumb everybody falls into a certain category and then you just start eliminating sort of a process of elimination to determine that relationship. I want to add as a caveat to kind of springboard off of what Laura said, when I looked at mine first, my closest match is a half sibling. She and I share about about 1867 centimorgans, but she's 19 years older than me. She has a daughter that is a year younger than me. So she's technically you know, when you would look at that, you might think aunt or uncle or aunt in this case, because it's a sister, but she's my sister because, you know, once we went through the process and I figured out who her biological father was and looked at the DNA, it was clear that I was not, I did not have DNA from her husband. So I could not be, she could not, her daughter could not have been my sister. She had to be my niece. 
if that makes sense. It totally does. And you literally brought up the question that I was planning on asking you, Kelly, was okay. what is a centimorgan? A centimorgan is a unit of genetic measurement. So as a whole person, I think you have, was it 7,400 centimorgans, Laura? Is that about correct? I have no um, idea. <laughs> so you should... I looked it up once. It's in one of my slides somewhere for something. So um, you as a whole person are 100% of your total centimorgans. You share 50 with each parent and about 25 with each sibling, uh, with each half sibling, 50% with a sibling. And then as you kind of break away from that, so like if you see 12 and a half percent, that's going to be about a cousin a first cousin, but there are other things that it can possibly be. It could also be a half niece or a half aunt, but that's generally what it is. So it's, it's, it breaks down the further you get away from that central unit of your parents, you know, since you're getting 50% from your, from your mother, you get 25% from each of her parents mm -hmm. because that goes into your 50%. And it's not a, it's not an exact number. It's, you know, like you said, 29, I think, percent with mm -hmm. the one sibling. So that's close enough to 25 to be, you know, you just got a little bit more DNA with him than maybe you do with your half sister. Yeah, I do find it funny that with with uh, my half brother, I share 29.1 percent of my DNA. And then my so far, my eldest sibling, which is a half sister, 22.6 so we like to use what we call Skittles theory. Um, basically, you have a big bowl of Skittles. When you were born, you reached in, you grabbed a whole bunch, and you may have gotten more blues from dad than um, and more reds from mom. And your sister, who is a half sibling that you share with your donor, got you know less blue from him, and mm -hmm. you know, or just how whatever it is. You, if you had a full sibling, you would find that it wouldn't necessarily be exactly 50%. She had, may have, you know, if mom had two donor conceived children by the same donor, she, your sister may have grabbed more blue and you grabbed more green or something like that. Yeah. So as you look at DNA, it kind of falls off. You only can inherit what your parents pass on to you. So if your parent didn't inherit something, then you don't inherit it either. You can't grab something from grandma that mom didn't get. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Oh my God. All right. That was the Skittles theory is really awesome. I also just love anything that ties back to food. Well, I would um, love to hop into the tea spilling portion of the, of the evening um, about donor conceived people, because, Hey, that's, that's a, we, we spill tea on here. So I would love to hear some stories without obviously breaking any confidentiality of f connecting donor-conceived people to biological family or other donor-conceived people. What has been some of the most incredible stories that you all have been a part of? Well, so let I me think... tell my two first. I got to tell my two okay. just because I remember them. Okay. <laughs> so the well, one of the very first donor-conceived uh, cases that I took is someone who is, who is currently a volunteer for us. And I have to tell you that when a client comes to us, I never know if they're looking for their donor or if they're looking for their dad. And let me explain that. Um, the first client that I had grew up without a father. Her mother chose to raise children as a single mother. Um, and so when they were looking for their donor, they were already using the terminology dad mm. so we asked right away what would you like us to call 
your donor? Do you want us to say donor? Or are you looking for your donor or are you looking for your dad? Because that really gives us a sense of what the client really wants out of this. And there is no judgment. They're entitled to either. Um, I love that. She was clearly looking for a dad, right? And she had a ma- she had matches with like eight half siblings already. The pod has continued to grow. Um, she had uh, she's up to twelve now. Yeah, I think up to twelve. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's honestly it's one of the best stories that we've followed throughout the entire uh, years of uh, DNA Angels. So anyway, she had the non identity information. So I love it when a client comes and they have the paperwork from the. Uh, fertility clinic, right? We knew what he did um, for a profession. We knew approximately his age. We knew that his wife actually suffered from a specific medical condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really helped me because her DNA, um, we build a case top down. Um, so we go back to like your great, great grandparents to see them as the common ancestor on both sides of your tree, right? So you've got a tree You've got a grandmother and a grandfather who are the parents of your donor. So we're building out to their great grandparents um, each and then narrowing that down the the tree until we get to the donor. Um, And with him, I did find him um, and with, and I'm sorry, his grandfather was not actually the man who, uh, he takes his name from. So there was an NPE situation in his tree, um, which complicated the case. And honestly, Laura, we find that so often um, that at least 20% of the cases that we bring in have broken branches Mm. up the tree. So it doesn't just fall together easily. We have to solve that mystery before we can solve your mystery. That makes a lot of sense. However, she was so nervous. I'm going to say we solved the case for her, right? But she was so nervous to call her donor that I broke protocol because in general, we do not make calls to your family um, on your behalf. And that's because if you only get one chance to call your family member, you get to hear their voice, not me. Because if it is a story of rejection, I'm the one that got to hear that and not you, but you at least get to take away the sound of his voice. Yeah. that you'll always remember, you know, Ooh, and the caveat, that just, that just have, hit, we, that just hit in the feels a little bit. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a reason that we do that with our clients. We do now have liaison services. Uh, and we'll talk about that more later, but, uh, with her, I actually called her donor because she made me feel a certain type of way. Right. I felt so close to this client and she has a twin, right? And they had lost their mother recently. Oh my Literally, God. I could cry. I, the, I get emotional over these stories because you get really close. They really share some very intimate, personal moments in their life. I and I said, you know what? And I'm, I can't say the name, but you know what? Would you like me to call your donor? I'm not afraid. I have no skin in the game here other than to try and bring you together, see if he's willing to have an open conversation about his updated medical history. And, you know, if he'd like to take a part in your family life. And she said, would you, would you do that? Oh my God. And I'm like, I got the phone number. Let's go. Right. Let's go. I did it right then and there. Amazing. I pick up the phone and dial because it was after dinner. I thought, you know, he's going to be home from work. He's, you know, they'll have dinner and everything. 
and his wife picked up. <gasps> and I was actually shocked because I was like, I thought she was dead, right? I hadn't done any investigation on her to indicate that, but just somewhere she in my has mind, risen. I had, this, I had built this story in my mind that she had suffered from this medical condition. So oh she's probably God. not alive, right? And she picked up the phone. So to myself, I'm like, oh my God, she's alive. So that was my first and I even shared that with her after we started talking. I told her who I was, why I was calling. She's like, oh, my God. She was such a pleasure to talk to. She's like, Aww. we've been expecting this call. We knew it was coming. He knows he's got children out there. Uh, I can say offspring. So I don't want to change the terminology for you. But he calls them his children. So Aww. it's different for each donor. So these are his children. He deliberately did this because him and his wife chose to have children this way because of her medical condition. It wasn't safe for her to have children. Okay. So they chose to, to populate the world with his gamete, his sperm, <laughs> purposely this way, and they were just waiting. He actually had been watching the donor sibling registry under his donor name wow. a donor number and he knew how many people had registered so he was really ahead of the game but he wasn't home yet and so we i was just having a, a good time on the phone you with, were just chit-chatting away and he, he walks in the door and she's like honey you want to take this call oh my god oh and so i got him on the phone and i explained everything and obviously he was a little bit more serious than she was um but he was still a riot right uh, and he said, yes, I, so I, I said, do you want to talk to your offspring or to your children? And he's like, yes, I would actually like to do that. Um, thank you for finding me. And so I got my client's phone number. I gave it to him and he called her like within the next day. Oh and she's like, God. I'm so nervous. I don't know what to say with him. I said, say to him, I said, just be yourself, answer his questions. Don't be afraid to ask him questions back. Um, and I want you to know that he has built a, an amazing, incredible relationship with the twins and one of the other offspring. He sees them all the time for dinner. They call him dad. Oh he God. is an actual father and a grandfather now to the children. It literally brings tears to my eyes almost every time she posts an update. And she's one of our biggest advocates and, and, and champions and cheerleaders. Oh my god! I, yeah. th I I think I know who you're talking about, but probably <laughs> I think it's, I do. It's such a good story, and it, we have so many more like that. But I, but, I, I but, tell but there, I didn't have this perspective on it, and oh my god, that is. And I, and yes, you do know where you met her. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I think I know who it is. <laughs> By the way, girl, if you're um, watching this, hey, girl, hey, I hope you're doing well. But um, I am. I hear stories like this. And they're so like heartwarming and kind. And I hear this and I'm so happy. And at the same token, I'm also, I get upset because I'm like, it's not that hard to be decent for gosh darn it's sake. Like showing that right. kind of empathy and kindness. Love ain't fucking pie. It's not finite. Show some freaking love. That's right. And it's I, and I hear it. And I hear this and I'm like, this is so possible. And I love, I, I, I wish like if, if the donor's wife ever hears this, you are a freaking star in my book because so many spouses of the donors are the ones who completely like 
are the ones who demand the the cutoff of the relationship between the donor. Yeah, a a lot of it is. And so the fact that she was just like, yes, this is it. We've been waiting for this. We're so excited. I love that she that she was so open and gracious and right there along for the ride. And I I think this is such a beautiful story that, yeah, we got to put on the mantle to go like, it's not that hard. It's it, 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 really, it really isn't. isn't. It really isn't. And it, it always saddens us because by and large, we find that the donors do step up for our for their offspring. Yeah. But then there are always the stories of that one donor that, you know, just doesn't get the memo. Um, uh, and that would be my donor. That, that, would, that would be mine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, Laura, I, I've been debating what stories to tell, but I guess I will tell one of our our not so happy stories um as my first one we had a young woman come to us she was referred to us by another donor conceived client who laura had solved that case and he has had um I, i think a decent relationship with his with his donor um and so she came to us and we found him fairly quickly and there were so many similarities and i'm sure that you find that um too with the the other donor conceived persons you yeah. find she um was from she went to school in the town that he lives in oh my god um, there were so many crossovers um and she was just a beautiful person had beautiful children so he would have been a grandfather if he chose to accept that role or at least you know even if he didn't she needed to know i think she needed medical history for the children um and she has reached out to him several times and she finally received a letter back that just basically said, here's the medical history. Don't contact me anymore. And the medical history was everything's normal. (laughs) And you would think that this person who is a physician and who has done a fairly large program of overseas doctoring um, that I won't mention the specific name of, but you know, one of those that is obviously an altruistic and generous person with his time and his gifts would be that generous and altruistic with the offspring he created. Yeah, I I don't understand. I really just don't understand this take. And I, I so feel for her because I, I'm in a similar situation where my donor is an OBGYN. I don't get it, why. It's why... human nature to be accepting. I mean, this is your offspring. Yeah, they share your genetic material. I don't. I don't ever understand that either. It's like they have something to hide. But you know, I've got a case where you would think this man would have something to hide. He is. He he is the most intimidating case. This is the most intimidating case <laughs> I've ever solved because the man's wealthy. Like he's really way up there wealthy. Ooh, okay. And he is the donor for my client and her brother uh but it's a you know just a brother that she matched and i'm just like oh this is intimidating this is easily who your donor is but he's like got a public personality out here right he's um had some things on youtube and uh, articles in the paper and he has like you know lots of history uh and i'm like i'm really intimidated by this but here's his number and everything. And I coached her. What I did was I just swallowed it, right? I didn't want to 
put my panic onto her because honestly, Laura, we really have a great success rate with our donors. Yes, we have the donors that decline to participate mm -hmm. or that do flat out reject, but they are few and far between when it comes to the success stories at DNA Angels. And I think it really comes down to the way that we coach and prep our clients to make contact with that donor um, in a very non threatening manner mm. and just looking for information with a little carrot of if you'd like to have a relationship I'm open to it right it's really I think in the uh approach but you got to have some experience at that in order to make that happen so listen I had her do the same approach that I have all my other clients do mm -hmm. because it works right and she did. She called him. He answered the phone while he's driving down the road in his Rolls Royce and had his wife <laughs> casual him, who, is, who sits on the board of a major metropolitan hospital. Uh, she made contact. He said, yes, I am probably your donor. Nice to hear from you. Um, and I would love to, you know, explore this a little oh bit. And I God. promise to call you back. All right. Well, they did have a relationship. He gave her, I'm sorry, he gave her his email. I checked in with her about the relationship because now I'm like a fly on the wall. I want to know, right? Yeah. To be honest, I really just wanted to know. Oh, yeah. And um, she said, well, I haven't really talked to him too much. He did reach out to me um, and we, we corresponded a little bit, but I, I really haven't, haven't reacted too, too quickly to his inquiries and I said okay you're gonna have to do that don't drop it now you're in the honeymoon phase let's make sure this is a successful honeymoon she did and here's the thing she was also diagnosed with a pretty serious medical issue and was not going to let's just say he got involved and because he got involved he found her the best in the business for her specific wow. issue she went and had the surgery for that he visited her in the hospital brought her a teddy bear oh my god said i'm here for you if you need anything i am here for you and i'm just like you know what miracles happen every single day i had prejudged this man just based on his wealth and the um sarcastic vitriol that he had on the internet and his youtube thing he was being funny but i don't i just didn't find it funny okay but he was being funny and i had prejudged him and so it was a lesson learned don't prejudge our our, our donors and just treat them like you would any other donor that comes in in the door and it worked and she has a great relationship with him Aww. she's been to like his coast house in the hamptons <laughs> to visit him and his wife and has a relationship with his his natural children and i'm just like wow i just love it i love doing what we do I, that's... it makes all the crappy cases worth just hearing the good ones you know yeah it and really I, does yeah and i know you guys get a, a ton of crappy cases where it's just like um where it is I, I, again i know we can't go into it but like i mean i know that i i, I helped usher in a, a case to you guys where it was like it's gonna get real dark real fast guys okay so just <laughs> yeah oh i remember that one yeah well, it, i did it, did. it. yeah, yeah it's like, it's she called get... me while i was in court and i'm like i'll call you right back hold on <laughs> yeah i was like is this this is not gonna be a happy one guys this is not 
it's important we do this, but just, you know, yeah. make sure you're, you, you've got your therapy scheduled for the following week because you're going to need it. Um, Kelly, do you have another like fi- kind of favorite story? I do. And it's actually not one that is my personal story. I actually interviewed the two people involved in this um, for our newsletter. It was actually, I believe, Heidi and Laura's case. And it was a set of egg donor conceived quadruplets. And um, the only two were interested in seeking out their donor at that time, but they did find her and um, she is a fantastic person. We did an interview with the uh, birth certificate mother, the donor um, and the two donor conceived children um, of the four. And she told us this fantastic story um, she was one of the, if not the first egg donor in the United States. Um, and funny enough, I had, I did my interview right after I heard the first episode of this podcast drop. So I had just heard your interview with your egg donor. Oh my and God. So yes. I had all these questions for her and she took it all in stride. She's had some health problems, but she did not have any that were related to the harvesting or that could be directly tied to it. So I did okay. ask her those questions. Um, but these, this whole family. I'm glad to the, hear that she doesn't have any any side effects because, yeah, there there are so many egg donors who end up having some a, very right, severe side she effects. She was a yeah. spokesperson. She recruited other egg donors. So oh. I was kind of like, at first I was kind of like, eh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Yeah. But she was such a lovely person. And she said this one particular thing that she remembers every donation and holds them close to her heart. And... So I talked with with her, with the two children, and with the mother of the children. And the mother and the donor have a wonderful relationship themselves. Um, it was really phenomenal that these four people, and hopefully the other two donor-conceived children can, you know, decide at some point that they want to be part of this. But it was just a fantastic story, and they are the neatest people in the world. Um, and it just, it did my heart good to see that not only was the, the donor open to a relationship with her offspring, but with their mother too. And the mother had said, look, you know, she was very open and upfront with the children Mm -hmm. the entire time she raised them. They, they knew they were donor conceived. In fact, the, the girl of the pair said that she, um, she remembers a story since they were quadruplets, they went to visit a family member who had had a new baby and there was only one baby and they were confused why babies didn't come in oh fours. My God. Because where's the, where's the rest had, of the set? Where are the other three children? Right. So they were looking around for the, where's the other babies? Because they, in their experience, you know, they had a pre-built little family right there. And um, I asked the um, mother and I said, well, you know, she says, well, I decided to have five embryos implanted because they said I had a one in five chance of conceiving. So I figured plant five, I've got, I'll have one. Well, she ended up with four. So, oh, that's hysterical. Um, but yeah, they, she's, um, they're in contact with some of the other offspring and the donor actually knows how many 
like how many twins, how many singlets, how many triplets and how many quadruplets were conceived from her donation. So it was really, it was really a neat story and they were really a neat family. And and I, when I say family, I include the donor in that yeah. because she was part of the family at that wow. point in time. So that to me was a story like Laura's um, where the donor has integrated almost seamlessly into this family and just become a part of it. The, um, the daughter was telling me that she had an imaginary sister, not an imaginary friend as a child, an imaginary sister. And the name of that imaginary sister was almost the exact name of the donor's natural daughter. Are you serious? Yes. So like if, if her imaginary sister was Laura, the child's name was Lauren. Oh my God. That close. Um, Yeah. Oh, that is... I mean, <laughs> that is, you were getting messages from your, from like, from the beyond with that one. Like, oh my God. Talk about intuition. Right. Yo, it's, that is incredible. So now I have some follow-up questions for, for, for you guys. And just in your experience, um, in your experience when with uh, helping uh, specifically donor conceived people, how many people are you finding? Is it majority? Is it about half? Is it the minority where you're finding out that the donor conceived person was not told that they were donor conceived, that they found out by accident, essentially? I don't have a I don't have a number for you, a percentage, but I will tell you that most of them most of, yeah. found out by accident. They're a late discovery donor conceived person. And I, I would agree with that. I would say that most of the people that are of a younger generation um, are the ones that grew up knowing that yeah. they were donor conceived. So for instance, the quadruplets are, I think in their late twenties, early thirties, uh, Laura's client, I think is in her late twenties, early thirties and all of, um, and, and some of her, um, donor conceived siblings know, and some of them didn't. I think it just depends. Um, I myself have um, a very good friend who her two children are both donor conceived. Um, and they, they grew up, they grow up knowing that, th th well, they have two mothers. So there's obviously there's a disconnect there. They know that there's no daddy in, in the story. So yeah. they know that they're donor conceived. And I said, at some point in time, when the boys want to know, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is what my, I, I personally, that is what I'm finding is that the, the amount of people who don't know that they're donor conceived, who are donor conceived, it is, it is a terrifying number. And it's, I don't know about you guys, but like I sit and I have like existential crises of like thinking about how many people are walking around having no idea that they're donor conceived and they could be neighbors with their sibling they could be dating yeah. their sibling. They could be married to their sibling. And it's like, I mean, the amount of donor conceived people who have had such close calls. Um, I know so many donor conceived people who went to school with their sibling, who were childhood best friends, dated the same person. And it's, it's so many close calls. Have you guys had those instances where you've been on the phone and you've like discovered siblings and they've gone like, wait, you mean, you mean Teddy? You mean Teddy, the the guy who lived next door to me my whole life? That's my sibling. How many of yes. those like close calls have you guys run into? Not many, but okay. we have had specific 
instances where we've solved a case and their sibling is somebody that they um they had a crush on in high school no yes their cousin they had relations with uh yeah we have had those cases i, I mean i, I know those from the donor conceived com community but definitely within our community, collectively, we have had those instances. I mean, I, I've, it's one of those things where like those instances are very like, I'm going to say hidden within the community. Um, yeah. I, one of my fellow advocates is like, oh no, 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 we, we know some siblings who absolutely dated and they want to stay very private. And so like not yeah. all of us are like, we got it. We're good. I have just never spoken to them, but whenever it's just like you ever, yeah. you ever get like a confirmation of like oh no 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 it absolutely happened you just go we did yeah yeah it is cringeworthy but forgivable because first of all we don't hold them in in, yeah, in judgment right and they didn't know they didn't know. they were just going with what they felt and frankly they probably genetically felt that connection right for other reasons and didn't realize what it was it's a fact. I feel so close to you. We're so fact. much alike. Right. We had <laughs> I, I can think of an of an NPE client that we had that was best friends with her half sibling growing up, oh. did not realize she was half siblings, but they were they were close. They were very, very close. So if they can be best friends, why can't they be, you know, significant others to each other? Because there is that attraction and whether, you know, they it's just you're 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 not parsing it on the right level because you don't have all the information. You know, it's kind of like a computer. You put bad data in, bad data comes out. So you don't have all the information. So your brain makes the connections that it does. So I may see you think, oh, you know, you're you're attractive. Well, it's because you kind of look like me, you know? Um, it's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing to be judgmental about with that. It's It's a biological fact. Yeah. And it's, oh God, it, it really does. It makes you at least certainly as like a donor conceived person, it really like makes me like go back and look through my crushes and go like, how how many of them had brown hair and thick eyebrows? And I don't know. I wonder if they'd be willing to spit into a tube. Yeah. I'm like, can right. we just like double check it? And spit? Well, it's why like, you know, my, my, my husband, then fiance, like, did an ancestry test to be like, I, I can't, we can't go through this without knowing. I have to know. Like, we're almost 100% sure. But if there's anything about doing the advocacy that I've done and that I've learned from it, it's that you are never sure. The, the, that's right. We like, could have just moved your wedding to Kentucky. Not a problem. I, well, that's literally, that's literally the joke we say. We're, we, because everyone asks us, they were like, well, what, what happens if you're related? I'm like, well, we'll still get married. It'll just be a destination wedding in Arkansas. Um, what do you, <laughs> my husband actually loves that joke. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, what, so in your, obviously again, we're, we're not breaking con confidentiality, but how many celebrities out there are donor conceived that like how, how many people of like a very public status or have used donor conception have been donors that have come to you or that you find out that they're related to like because I, I the reason I ask is I think we feel that donor conception is used so so minimally but we're learning that that's just not true it's it's 
actually, there's so many more donor-conceived people out there than I think even donor-conceived people expected. And, like, how widespread is this? Like, do we have secret celebrity um, advocates, maybe advocates out there that we desperately need to start, like, becoming way more public? So I don't know about that. I I, I, I haven't personally worked with any um, clients that have famous uh, donors. I do have clients that have famous fathers uh, that I have found who they are but they were not donor conceived. So I can't speak for the donor conceived community. No Only worries. For the community. <laughs> I mean, we've had some infamous donors as it were. Um, you know, I think you had one of our clients on recently who had a rather infamous donor. Oh yes. Are we, are we talking about the infamous Dr. Wartman of Rochester who is recently deceased? We just had David Barry come on, talk about the case from his standpoint, certainly talked about how wonderful you guys were and just, you know, was talking about an amazement of how you guys did your job with with his case. And I'd love to talk about it because, yeah, how he was explaining how you were able to track everyone down. Like, I don't know how you all were able to to figure that one out. And I have Kelly Gray (laughs) Sicky. So I I would. to yeah. be honest, his matches sucked. His matches um, sucked. One, his one good match was a recent immigrant from Poland who had recently passed away. And so we Laura was doing her thing on the DNA end and was just struggling. So I went out and found the contact information for the three daughters and we kind of evaluated which one we thought would be the one that would um, be willing to open up. And I'll be honest with you, I was not in favor of, of the one he reached out to. I actually wanted one of the other daughters because she seemed like she was the angriest of the three. Oh um, she was not using his last name anymore oh. and was living across the country from him. And I thought she would probably be the one that would be willing to talk. Whereas Laura and David gravitated towards the one he eventually reached out to. So um, that was, that was all their choice. I was on, I was on board with another sibling. But, oh, the fact that you guys had a couple of siblings to choose from as to like, who do we think hates their father more is like, that says a lot right there. Uh, For anybody who. Really about that though, Laura, it was more about who was younger uh, mm. who had a different type of um, professional background. Okay. Um, because I felt like the the ones that are in like medicine and stuff, they still have things to hide. Um, they don't want this to affect their, their business. Um, um. So I wanted to go with the one who had a little bit more, and I don't want to classify her as this because I don't know that she is, but a little bit more hippie love, you know, free flowing with their love and i felt like and, and please i'll i would I, i'd say your name but please know that I, I don't classify you that way but as i was about also evaluating the three i was just like that one just feels like she would probably be more open to at least testing for you or having a conversation because specifically with david's case he had already uh, been in contact with one of the most publicly known genetic genealogists out there, right? Mm-hmm. And they had uh, agreed to take his test, but then kind of ghosted him. Thank you very much. Um, so he found us. And I said, 
look, even if I can't solve it via DNA, I do feel like the story that you're telling me has merits in fertility fraud, but I need to get at least one piece of evidence that points me towards Dr. Wartman. And I did see it in his DNA matches. Um, I just couldn't connect the grandmother and grandfather line, yeah, which is how we genetically identify the donor, right? So I said, but I think that there's enough here that we can at least have the conversation and ask for them to test. And that's all it took. Um, it, it just took having that little pro, the prodding of do it, pick up the phone, call them. This is what you're going to say. Let's role play. So we had a a little bit of practice. This is what we're going to say when you call. This is what she may respond with. This is how you respond. We come come at it as a non-threatening way. We're trying to do a family history evaluation. We do suspect, because we have to be transparent, right? We do suspect that there is some foul play within that clinic. And, you know, it could be Dr. Wortman. And uh, thankfully, she was kind enough to be receptive to that conversation and said, Let's test. I think I know who your who your donor is. In case I've got yeah. people popping on the podcast for the very first time who are who are just like, what is this Dr. Wortman case? Uh, let me just quickly <laughs> uh, boil it down for you. Is Dr. Wortman um, was he recently deceased last month on a plane crash, um, but was an OBGYN in Rochester, New York, who switched out the chosen donor sperm for his own in at least 15 patients that we have been able to identify so far. And um, three, and then a a few of the donor-conceived siblings all found each other and um, were starting to get curious as who the donor was and started peeling back the paint and quickly, very quickly, were able to start suspecting that their donor was Dr. Wortman. Um, And DNA Angels helped them prove this. Um, This case also has another layer of real insidiousness to it because Dr. Wartman also knowingly was the OBGYN for at least one of his biological donor-conceived daughters. She had no idea. He certainly knew, and he proceeded to do those physical exams anyway. Um, If you want to read more about it, you literally you just Google Dr. Wartman Rochester scandal. There's so many articles popped up about it. Like it's very easy case to find. Um, But yes, and we just had two episodes uh, with David Barry, who is one of his donor conceived sons, if you want to learn more about it. But that is the case that we are talking about. And also, again, as I will say almost in every single episode, as of right now, we have found uh, uh, 70 doctors who have committed fertility fraud within the United States. That has all been found due to commercial DNA testing like Ancestry and 23andMe with only at least last time I checked and Maybe you you'll know better than me. But last time I checked, it was only 17 percent of the United States population had taken a commercial DNA test. Is that still true or is it a little higher now? I don't know. That, that sounds statistic. about right. That sounds about right. I know that 17 to 20 percent of those that take a DNA test do have a, a first a first degree discovery. Really? So, yes. So let's change that number. The media is very comfortable saying five to 10 percent. But I'm telling you, as a genetic genealogist who has evaluated over 5000 kits, it's it's much stronger than that. And it could be higher than 17 to 20 percent. But that is a tangible number that I can literally prove. So seventeen to twenty percent that take an ancestor DNA test or any public 
DNA test will discover that their mother or their father is not their true parent. Or both. Or and both. Laura, to answer your question, that 17% that of the American population that has taken a DNA test sounds right because I know it was 15% in 2019, but yeah. I don't know if the statistics have been updated. There so there's probably some, there's some room for growth there because of course, you know, everyone's seen the Kelly Ripa you know, DNA, you know, buy your ancestry test. Yeah. It's Christmas. Find out if you're wearing lederhosen or, you know, a kilt. Um, yeah. Well, and it's also, it's something that, uh, and, and I've been recently sort of talking about this on my TikTok, is that donor conception doesn't also just affect donor-conceived people. It also affects the children of the donors. There have been children of the donors who go on ancestry and suddenly, why do I have a hundred half-siblings? Yes. Right. Because right? the donors <laughs> almost never tell their families. Yes. Right, uh, and they you know, should. Yeah. In in today's world, with at home DNA testing being so easily affordable, yeah, donors know we're coming. They literally know that we are coming for them. Uh, cue and the Jaws theme music right there. I don't say it in a sinister way. Yeah. But we're coming for you, and rapists, murderers. They're coming for you too. The ones that use the exact same technology that we use to find a donor, yeah, we're using the exact same technology to find the criminals. Oh my god! Well, I would okay. I I I, I, I love I love how we just like sort of slap down on the table of like, ha ha, we're gonna get you. That's right. Um, there are no secrets anymore, folks. So then, I guess that really brings us now, I, I sort of to tie it into the fertility industry. Um, because y'all are pivotal in pulling back that kind of metaphorical veil when it comes to the fertility industry, because you two have been significant in uncovering the utter insane vile lies that the fertility industry has just been peddling out for so long. As we just discussed, we, we've discussed fertility fraud cases and everything like that. What are, in your experience now and what you're doing, what are the pieces of legislation that you are like, we we have to pass this? This is imperative now. So I do think that the legislation needs to be needs to be changed. And Absolutely. we need to be transparent with the identity of the donor. I'm okay with that identity being at 18. Um, but I do think that it's it's really simple. I'm going to give my client the name of their donor. So you can either pass legislation making donor conception um, open and public, or I'm just going to give them the name. And they only have to be 14 to come to me. Wow. There we go. That's, you know, that's a pretty big fucking gauntlet just been dropped right there. Well, I'm not just going to give them the name of their donor. I'm going to tell them who their living grandma and grandpa are too. And all their aunts and uncles and cousins. So let's just leave leave the choice in the donor's hand to be able to share that openly and freely versus getting that second hand from a genetic genealogist. Yeah. And what it's what imperative you... that donor conceived persons have access to accurate and updated medical histories. Laura told the story of her client that came that ended up having a serious medical problem. If it's the same client I'm thinking of he actually tested, found out he had a serious medical problem and then contacted the other sibling and let him know. Oh, wow. So, so that's another one. I didn't tell that story, but that's another one. I swear. Oh, my God. 
the the amount and then we've also spoken to donors who are actively trying to find their donor conceived children because they have been diagnosed or um or a carrier they find they find out later in life for like a fatal genetic disorder a fatal well, genetic that's kind illness. of what happened here we identified the donor he admitted that yes he was a donor and he ended up within months of being identified getting diagnosed with a very serious heart condition i'll just say heart condition yeah and it scared the bejesus out of him mm-hmm. he so he then came and said hey i i need to reach out to my my donor children what do i do and we said put your dna out there on on ancestry yeah. and 23 and me and have a conversation with the children that you match and he did and he was grateful i think he even made a donation to That's... dna angels that is amazing. And that's also, I, I, I'm grateful when the donors kind of have that aha moment of going like, yeah. Oh shit, this yeah. is bad. But this is also why it is imperative that, um, we need, I, I, I mean, you mentioned from, from, you know, uh, you know, a, uh, an open ID donor if at 18, it's why I would argue that we need open ID from, from birth because these kinds of conversations are pivotal to start happening immediately. There are so many donor conceived people who I know personally who start showing medical issues at, at like three, four years old. Uh, there, there's some, right. uh, that, that, uh, have ended up in, um, the NICU. Um, that were absolutely related to the donors, um, medical problems. And it's these conversations, having that open dialogue immediately literally can save lives. Yes. And, but think about that, the baby that ended up in the NICU because they ended, they had a genetic, um, inheritance from their donor. Well, the donor was never tested, was he, prior to, to making a donation. He was not tested for genetic in abnormalities and, and i don't know that that's feasible because that would be very expensive right and and we're out there trying mm-hmm. parents are out there trying to to make this inexpensive uh but that's that's the game you play when you play with making babies that way but i think that the the contact almost would override the genetic testing because you yes. if you are having the open contact is way more valuable than the genetic testing one and, and this is something that i don't think parents really understand is like they come in to these clinics these cryobanks and they say like oh we test for like a thousand genetic illnesses and it's like i understand from a non-trained ear that sounds like a lot it really isn't it's not it really isn't <laughs> it isn't and one you can't you literally cannot test for everything because there we just haven't been able to find the markers for everything. And I don't right. know of a single clinic or cryobank that does test for everything that is literally possible to be tested for. So it's like that's just not in the ballpark. So having that open communication, if you I would much rather put the money behind open communication than more genetic testing. Uh, I love genetic testing. That's great. That's wonderful. That's awesome. And that's great. But if if we have to split hairs and talk about what is genuinely more important, the communication is what has saved donor-conceived lives more than anything else. And if we think yeah. about how we want donor conception to replicate more what's in nature, the communication is what is more in nature. Having contact with biological family is what's more available, not genetic testing. Right. It's the communication. Now, I do see where in the donor conceived or in the fertility industry, right? They're they're going to really push back at that. 
because a donor wants to be anonymous. They don't want to be in contact with all of the parents of the offspring coming out of their donation, right? The purpose isn't for them to be a dad to all of these children. It's to uh, help a family have a baby. I think it's more than just help a family have a baby myself, but um, they don't want that. They don't want that contact. So they, they really need to go in this with an open mind that if you're going to be a donor, you're also going to be identified and communication must happen between the donor and the offspring or the parents of the offspring. I think it's also, I think that the, that the fertility industry is also, I mean, I think that there is a massive misunderstanding because I speak to people who would be donors and they're like, I would be a donor, but I am not comfortable with the fact that I am completely cut out of this child's life. I'm not comfortable with the fact that I would never see this person. I would never know that they're just okay. And they were like, I would be 100% okay donating to somebody not having any like parental rights or anything, but just making like just being able to have like a little bit of like a baby relationship with the with the kid. They're like, then I would be completely behind being a donor. I would absolutely want to donate. Um, but they're like the idea that I just literally deposit and I get a paycheck and then it's done makes so many people uncomfortable. And I don't think the fertility industry realizes that I'm like, because they're hurting for donors right now. They're not good. The, they're Exactly. There, the demand is skyrocketing, but the supply is not changing. And they're like, what can we do? And I'm like, make your industry more ethical. People are understanding that it isn't ethical and they're not going to donate. Make it freaking ethical. That's how you change yeah. it. You're going after the wrong donors. You're going after people who do have very selfish and narcissistic intentions. Look at the ads you guys use. Look at the look at the tactics you use to try and get donors. Only people with very not great intentions are going to fall for those things. Yes. Appeal to donors who would be donating for more altruistic senses. Your industry would be... 10 times better, 10 times healthier and have much better, healthier results. But at the same, do you think they care about that though, Laura? No, not right now. They don't bottom line. They care about what sells and what sells is the, um, need to have a baby. Yes. Their sales come from the recipient parents. Their sales are not coming from, uh, those that are thinking that, uh, they're doing a good thing by donating, right? Because they're paying for that very little money, by the way. But they are charging outrageous sums oh my. to those parents coming in it's to insane. receive that game mate, yeah. right? What they charge, I I did speak to a donor, and I and I I'm, and I believe I remember his his numbers correctly. He donated for a few years. He donated for a good few years, and I believe overall he made about forty thousand dollars. And he was able to find some of his recipient parents. And he said he did the math because he was able to ask, like, what did you pay for a vial? And he was like, they made a quarter of a million dollars off of me. The difference between what he made versus what they charged. Now, and I understand there's going to be um, freezer costs. There's going to be you're paying, you know, you got it. Lab techs, receptionists, um, you know, just keeping your clinic, you know, functioning rent. Like I get all of that. But the difference between what he was paid versus what they were charging, the difference was so vast. And it was like, you don't have that much overhead. Like that's such bullshit. 
And right. I do. There's a difference between overhead and markup. <laughs> yeah. And it was like very, very clear. Like this is mar- like this is this is you. This is not that much. And I mean, it's very clearly like, for example, like um, and we talk about this in a, in a in a prior episode with a recipient parent was that not only was she paying for the vials of the sperm, she had to pay extra to get the donor's full profile because you weren't even just buying the sperm. You weren't given the medical history. You had to pay Correct. extra for that. There are upcharges oh, for every little thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There that's is. so wrong. That's exactly wrong. A, a voice recording of your donor. Yeah. Like they've really got this dialed in. They know how to up. They okay. upcharge all of that little fucking bullshit. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. If a parent is paying between eight hundred to two thousand dollars for a one freaking vial of sperm. I deserve that little voice recording. Bullshit. That's right. But no, now it's gener- now as the children are turning 18, yeah. if the parent didn't get that that paperwork or that voice recording, now the kids are having to pay for the same material that should have came with the original donation, right? Yeah. It's absolutely absurd. And I do think that it's it's and again we're we're sort of like you know we keep rolling back as to like what what the core problem is and i think the issue is donor conception really comes to a head with a capitalistic sort of lens on it because you have to have a product in order to make a profit within a capitalistic world the product with donor conception is the baby your product is sentient human beings they're is it, it's always going to be problematic. There's no way to get past. You have to, the amount of extra work you have to do in order to make this ethical is you are going to have to, yes, actively reject that capitalistic model to make it okay. And you can't be treating donor conceived people like products anymore. And that again, co- it would 100% shift the industry as it should. But that is where the core foundation is going to have to be is like we have to start it from the ground floor and make it donor conceived centered because right now the industry is like, how do we capitalize off of infertility trauma? How do we capitalize off of the desperation for having a family? Not just the want of having a family, they capitalize off of the desperation. And that is what they're doing. And that is what the whole model is completely surrounded by. Um, and that's what causes so many problems, not just for donor conceived people, but for recipient parents and donors. And so many recipient parents walk into this having no idea or understanding of the consequences they're going to be facing in 10, 20, 30 years. Yep. And then obviously, you know, we, three of us and including many other people end up picking up the slack and be like, all right, let's piece this the fuck back together. That's right. So how, so then we're, so then a couple of follow-ups then for y'all. One, I've got a donor-conceived person, an adoptee, an NPE listening to this and going like, holy shit, I need these women in my life. I need their help. What can I do? How do I contact you? um, How do they find you? Our website, dnaangels.org. So that's 1A, dnaangels.org. You can uh, look at Kelly's shirt for that one. We are, uh, yes, yes, love it. Love that. So we've got, okay. And then if you wanted to, now if you're listening to what you're doing, you're just like, man, now you, you're a nonprofit, right? We are a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. 
Amazing. So if you were like, I want to support that nonprofit, what can I do to support that nonprofit? DNAangels.org slash donate. Amazing. I love this so much. This is great. Um, and if you donate in July, before the end of July, we are do currently doing our fundraiser Christmas in July. Any donation over $25 gets a personalized Christmas ornament. And any donation over $250 gets our fabulous t-shirt for the year. We've had this is our third year, I think, that we've done it, and we've had three really cool T-shirts. One of our volunteers' sons helped us with the graphics this year, and it's all about – it's got a little hand with the I love you. I don't know. If, um, yeah. Laura, do you have yours handy? Laura has hers handy. <gasps> Laura has um, hers it, handy. That's right. Well, that was by accident. It just came in the mail. Let's see. Dow, I see oh, it's a little back blurry. A little. Can you bring it back? Oh, there it is. There you go. Yes. So and it's, it's the hearts categories. Have, yeah, DNA. The hearts have say NPE donor conceived and adopted or adoptee. I can't see that. You yeah, you've got a, a, a filter on, so it's making it a little blurry. Yeah, doesn't matter. But oh my, okay, so that is fantastic. And then we can also, you guys have an Instagram, TikTok as well. Everything. We have Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we're on Facebook. In fact, you can find our, our our screening room if you're a Facebook user and want to just go straight there. Just search for DNA Angel Screening Room, okay. and that'll take you straight to our screening room. Our our lovely intake assistants will get you all set up to work with an angel. That is one of our biggest missions. We don't necessarily have the money to change the world, but we have talents and we have skills and we have the ability to help people and that is why we do what we do. Um, we like to say we turn our mess into a message. We turned our pain into a purpose. And we're not just sitting on the sidelines watching others suffer who get these, you know, DNA discoveries. I, I, I jokingly said to a mutual friend of all of ours who is a donor conceived person from a very well known pod of 96 children. Oh, I wonder that who you're talking about. Had, yeah, we all know who I'm talking about. That hi, girl. Hi. I, you know, had her name come up at the top of my match list, I think I would instantly just be like, yeah, you know, shot to the heart right there. And she's a lovely person. And oh, I yeah. think she's probably the best person to, if you had that happen to, you know, to be able to reach out to, but still, it's still a kick in the teeth. And, you know, it, it's a good thing that she's a nice person and that she's, you know, so empathetic and yeah. so lovely and so willing to sit down and patiently explain to each and every new sibling that she receives just exactly what their horror is going to be when they realize exactly yeah. what was done. Uh, not, uh, you know, as we are, we're, 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 we're talking, um, I don't know if you guys have heard through the grapevine, but two more siblings have popped up from that group. No, yeah. no. Yep, so we're up to 98. Yeah. Two, I, I think they're above a hundred at this point. Ah, I'd ha I'll, I'll double check that one, but yeah, I, I but yes, yeah. Two, last time, um, yep, yeah, two more, two more popped up. Um, yeah, I got a DM from from one of them, and I'm just like, oh my god, it's mm. like, oh shit, it's like, yeah, it makes you're... you want to do bad things to people, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, um, and he's he's still alive. Oh yeah, he's he's still he's still kicking around. So fucking great. I didn't say that then. <laughs> Any before we before we sign off, any any final thoughts from from our angels right now? Let me just go back and say it's DNA angels, but it is one word, one A. DNA so angels. Yes. D -N -A. Look, look at 
Yeah, if you look at the bottom of the screen where Laura's uh, name is, that's exactly how it's spelled. Amazing. Okay. Well, that is absolutely, absolutely wonderful. I cannot thank you all for the work that you guys do. Um, it is, you have been certainly providing incredible answers, closure, medical history, and bringing families together, uh, certainly for my community, but also the adoptees and MPEs out there. So I cannot thank you all enough. I cannot wait to continue working with you all. There are so many, there's so many projects. And I know that we've only just begun. There's so much more coming down the pipeline. And yeah, sorry, sorry, infertility industry. You got, you're going against fucking angels. That's right. And you know, I do want to add one, one more component. A lot of people don't understand that we're not just solving the case. We're holding your hand through the process of reunification mm -hmm. and coaching you through um, those moments of pain of either rejection or just the identity issues. Yeah. Because we all have um, trauma that's related to our discovery. So just know that there is help out there beyond identification. We're also here for the other part of it. Because we've been there. Yeah. Both Laura and I and a lot of our volunteers, we've been there. And, you know, we've walked through the fire and we're coming back with buckets of water for those of those still consumed by the flames. Um, that's, you know... Laura mentioned her her donor conceived client who's now a volunteer. She wanted to volunteer so she could give back. Yeah. Um, and that's how a lot of our people feel. They just want to give back to the community because they're so grateful for the assistance and for the support. And we have a fantastic support group. I mean, you I don't you see sometimes in support groups where there's you know sniping and backbiting. That does not happen very yeah. often. And when it does, we shut it down. Yes. Um, because this is not a place to to point fingers or to judge or to say my story is more important than yours. This is a place where everybody should feel safe and that everybody should feel supported. And, you know, we have, we have support groups that people can attend virtually and we have a, a great relationship with right to know, and we're doing a building bridges seminar, um, six week kind of counseling course. I, I don't even know what it is, but we, we do so much more. Like we've, we do author interviews and we do um, things for the community. Like we screened um, Autumn Sansom's um, movie, The Reckoning with the Primal Wound. And that was a big thing that we did for adoptees. We've just, we, we try to support every single branch as best as we can. Um, and we we really rely on our partners in each community. So for the donor conceived community, the donor conceived um, council, and um, you know people like Cassandra Adams, and of course yourself, and Jacoba Ballard, all you know names that are very big in the community that everybody knows. You know you can see I've got Peter Peter Bonnie's book right on the bookshelf behind me. So yeah. we have we try to do our best to support every single aspect, um, not just donor conceived, not just NPEs, not just adopted, but, you know, people who come to us and say, Hey, I was raised by a single mother. I never knew my dad. He left when I was two. Can you help me find him? I think his name is Bob, you know? I, well, let me just say very clearly, you are succeeding. You are absolutely in an ancestry too. 
<laughs> Spit in an ancestry tube. I got that message where I, I was like on TikTok and people were asking me like, what what DNA site? And I think I was like saying like, I because I, I had heard 23andMe was better. And then you guys were like, Ooh. stop selling the bet. It's ancestry. That's what we need. And I was like, oh, okay. Sorry, guys. All right. Shh. All right. Come here. Come here. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thank you all again so much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Kelly, for coming on. Thank Everybody. You. Please go support. What a, what a phenomenal way to go support donor-conceived people. Because I get people in my comment section asking all the time, what can I do? Here is a really easy way to do it. It This is how you help the donor-conceived community find their family, connect them with their medical history, and seriously just close those blank spaces in their life. So thank you again, and have a fantastic day. Thank you, Thank Laura. you so much, Laura. Thank you. Thank you.